Hi, everybody. Welcome to Podcast of a Lady on Fire, where we will explore the filmmaking, themes, and community involved in Celine Siama's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We are your hosts, Laurel Hachineva. And I'm Audrey Nee. Just to be upfront about this, I don't have a film studies background, but I have studied this specific film a lot, and I'll be coming at a lot of it, mostly from like a, a big I'm a big fan of the movie, and that's mainly why I wanted to do this. But I'm also a woman. I'm a lesbian. And so there's a lot of stuff in Portrait of a Lady on Fire that I resonate with. Yeah, similar. I also don't have a film studies background, also a queer woman. But I'm personally interested in finding more ways to basically keep the fire burning. Ah, fire. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And also to continue this conversation and collaboration that Siyama started with the film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A couple of quick disclaimers. Neither of us speaks French very well at all. And we are going to assume that you have at this point watched the movie. So we're going to talk about the ending, spoilers, all of it. And let's, let's roll into it. This episode is actually kind of a test run. It is about something that we both find pretty interesting, which is the woman's and bath tube, which if you are not in, if you are not pretty deep in the fandom, I would say you, you probably won't understand where, where that's coming from or why that's a reference. Do you want to talk a little bit about the origins of woman's and bath tube? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm not sure what the, like the, you know, origin per se of woman's is other than I know in a bunch of interviews Noemi did you know early on especially during the sort of press tour for the movie whenever she talked about women she would say woman's which was kind of a lot yeah because it's <laughs> like every other word yeah yeah <laughs> and I think it got to the point where Adele Anel started actually correcting her in in these interviews um, oh did she mo- really mocking- I don't know yeah. that I've seen that one oh <laughs> and it got to the point where uh Noemi now realizes that she's saying it wrong and kind of does it intentionally like it's it's yes. turned sort of like tongue-in-cheek so yeah. yeah I was hoping that she like there was initially when I came across the whole woman's thing I was like oh no nobody ever correct her you know and it's like of course she's gonna someone's gonna correct her at some point and so yeah I'm really happy to hear that she's just running with it on purpose and uh, I think a lot about you I like to all the women <laughs> There's, I don't know if you've noticed this too, but there's like a ton of Instagram accounts now that have women's in yeah. <laughs> the yeah, username. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's pretty special. Yeah. <laughs> and then BathTube, I think, was just from a single interview that they had been doing while they were in the States, I think. And Noemi had said that she initially read the script while she was in the she was in the bath and she was trying to figure out the English word for bathtub and then Adele Anel very proudly said, oh, bath tube, you know, and then she, she was like, bath tube, are you sure, sort of, and she's like, yes, yes, it's bath tube, and the person who was interviewing them said, or you could just say bath, and then so the, the interview continued, but now bath tube is its own thing. In my bathroom, comment did you say, Ah, bath tube. Huh? Bath tube. tube, like uh, the bath tube where you lay. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. So I have a couple of theories on this, but like, do you have any theories as to why why we as a a fan community have clung to these two words? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for Noemi, for women's in particular, it's the way she says it is very adorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's very easy to cling on to something like that, and there's something about. This is kind of like a separate side topic, but there's something about her as a persona that's very like 
anime. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's that. almost a caricature of herself. But then bath tube. I mean, part of that has to be because of just like the sheer confidence that she (laughs) kind of, she was like, oh, it's bath tube. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know this. I know this one. It is bath tube. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then just like some of the fan art that's kind of spun out from it, I think is sort of, uh, you know, continuing to light that fire. That's true. (laughs) That's true. But yeah, what are your theories? So I feel like because Portrait was such a sparse movie, like the, the house was unfurnished. There isn't, there aren't like catchphrases, right? This isn't. A movie with a lot of zingers, right? I mean, there are very like regardez-moi type things, but we're so hungry for any like portrait content that we took woman's and we took bath tube and we're like, all right, these are ours too. And we added it to like the page 28 reference. And that actually might be it. It's like outside of P28, it's what else? Is, it's like Vivaldi embroidery, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, fire. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole topic, right? Like, is there, I'm trying to think of other things that we have sort of um, extracted from this uh, experience and made it our own. Yeah, there, it just feels like there aren't really that that many objects to cling to from the movie, the way that there might be with other things, you know? Right, definitely. I'm definitely seeing a lot of embroidery. I think there's a lot of fan art where people have basically transformed these two characters into animals right yeah i've seen like the bear the the, the chubby bear and the chubby otter yeah bear of and otter which like, yeah. has a whole separate queer connotation which i love <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. oh yeah that's true <laughs> who's the bear and who's the otter i Can, do you remember they're both they're both sort of like very chubby and cute so i didn't realize that they weren't two bears at first and then someone referred to them as bear and otter yeah. No, I'd have to look back into it. Who would you think is the bear and who do you think is the otter? Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a really good question. I, I'm going to... Oh, my God. I feel like physically, Noemi is the otter and Adele is the bear, but personality-wise, it might be flipped for but me. Physic- really? Because like, I feel like physically they're both... And uh, that was part of the casting, too, was that like they were both equals in a lot of ways. Like They're both the same age. They're both the same height. True. I feel like they're, they both basically have the same build. I do agree with that, though, that, like, of the two, Noemi would be the more otterish if, we, if we're going by, at least maybe personality, because I think yeah. Adele has a little bit more of an in-your-face, I don't want to say aggressive, because it has, you know, different connotations, but, you know, just a little bit more, a, a little bit of a stronger personality, maybe. Yeah, for sure. If you watch them in interviews, Noemi is often kind of... I wouldn't say she recedes into the background, but, you know, she's a little bit more soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, Adele is often, like, sitting there twitching and waiting yeah, for her turn to yeah. speak, and, you know? Yeah. Well, and that was kind of interesting to me, too, because if I had just seen them in terms of personality, I think I would have cast them in the opposite roles, you know? Adele as the stronger, independent businesswoman, right? And then Noemi as the sort of restrained upper class person about to be married off but very upset about it. But I feel like their roles ultimately ended up being pretty balanced in terms of that strength, even though Eloise comes from a place where she's like less experienced, more sort of naive and innocent. She's still extremely headstrong mm-hmm. in many ways, right? Yeah, true. I do want to go back to something you said earlier about this film being kind of this I don't know if you said like sparse landscape mm-hmm. or something, but you know, there's there's just a lot of space there. And I feel like that's um, that's actually part of the reason why it's really, the, the fans have gone kind of like nuts for it. Why it's like, we, we've all fallen in love with this film. I feel like Siyama created this space for 
the viewer in a way that a lot of films don't Mm, um, where we're kind of like almost an equal participant in the story which is why which is what like what's allowed us to basically like grow this like love for it right yeah yeah I'd I'd agree with that it's it's interesting how yeah she was so masterful at focusing our attention by using lack you know like by removing elements instead of taking what could have been I guess the easier route because like when you have a period piece you're like oh I know what this is supposed to look like it's supposed to look really ornate in this house there's supposed to be a bunch of furniture everywhere and instead there wasn't and it never really felt like I mean I think maybe at one point I was sort of conscious of the fact that like wait why don't they have any furniture or art anywhere but I think you can explain that in terms of narrative like one one of the podcasts that I listened to about this said they felt like oh, the mom had probably packed up everything and was just ready to get out of there, ready to get her daughter married and and leave. And it's like, okay, that that could make sense. But there wasn't ever a point at which it felt like, wow, this room is really under-furnished, you know, or this, this film, did they not have enough budget to get set design? You know, it, it felt purposeful and it felt right. And I I think that if anyone had pitched it to me, someone with zero film experience, I would have been like, no, that's ridiculous. You have to fill that, you know, that beautiful mansion up with a bunch of 18th century nonsense. But yeah, I, I can't picture this film any other way now. Yeah, I think also the idea of the lack is really interesting because it expands not just to the um, the set and the environment, but also like the dialogue as well as the the soundtrack. There's literally yeah. no soundtrack. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. So I think, yeah, in a sense, like in every aspect of the film, she's really kind of opened up the space for the viewer, the audience to just like invite themselves in, get comfortable, yeah, <laughs> fall yeah. in love with it. And maybe, yeah, it's it's almost like because there wasn't anything else that you really needed to take in, it didn't take too long to feel oriented to the space, to the world. You know, it's not like you spent half of the time in awe of this different time period it was all about the characters immediately you know and then finally like the the one time when there is more to the scenery is basically in the art gallery you know so it's like everything else is pretty sparse I can't think of another scene where there's there's more surrounding them until she gets to the art gallery and of course she has to but I, I feel like there's probably something something to that as well so it's like there's nothing there's nothing and then there's like everything everywhere and I wonder I think I'd have to think a little bit more about that choice because everything that she did was so purposeful that I wonder why the first time she meets or she sees Eloise again it's like a cacophony of people and visuals and yeah that's that's a really good point it's also worth noting like that's the first time you see like so many men yeah that's true together that's true. i think yeah. the rest of the film with the exception of when marianne is boating over <laughs> to the island you don't yeah, really see true, any men i think yeah so yeah what you said about the orchestra um i think is interesting because it was also a very deliberate decision to not actually show what was on stage right yeah 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 Ugh, man <laughs> we actually just watched um I, f- I, I kind of don't want to say the name of the movie because uh, we were expecting it to be very good and it, it wasn't as good. But I think it might have 
its chances of impressing me might have been hurt because I've seen it after Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But we saw this this film. It was it's on Netflix. It's like a first time feature director, and it looked like it was gonna be beautifully shot, and it just felt like oh these scenes are so disjointed. The colors in some of them are very rich, and then the colors in some scenes aren't so great. And having seen this movie, I feel like the choice to do something like not show the symphony, it's changed the way that I look at every movie now. I now can feel, I think, a little bit more precisely when editing is bad. Whereas I think before, editing is such a, it's one of those things where if you do it right, you can't tell that it's been done almost because the film feels complete and whole and it feels like it's not missing anything. It feels like it doesn't have anything extraneous. Whereas now I feel like I'm a little bit more sensitive to bad editing. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Are you going to say what this what this movie is? Or you're oh, just gonna, man. Like, leave me again? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, um, it's Tiger Tail. So oh. it's by one of the creators of Master of None, Alan Yang. And it's a story about an immigrant couple uh, they migrated from Taiwan and they started their life in New York in like the 70s. And the premise of the story I was really excited about because it's like, oh, yeah, this person ends up being a, con- a convenience store shopkeeper. You know, it's like, yeah, I know Asian convenience store shopkeepers. This is going to be great. You know, it's going to be like an incisive look into what it was like to, to do that, to move from your home country and to take up a job like that and have it for decades. And then it just felt so like saccharine you know melodramatic the editing like I said earlier just wasn't as seamless I think it was edited by someone who had done the tv show and who had previously it seemed like exclusively edited comedies so there might be something there but I I would love for you to watch it and let me know what you think for sure yeah do you feel like portrait is kind of ruined (laughs) (laughs) maybe not just films but all art forms for you (laughs) i i yeah i probably um actually no i i wouldn't i wonder if in a way it's 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 gonna help us appreciate also um you know yeah i think so i think it's given it's definitely given me a deeper appreciation of of things um we also just finished up fleabag i don't know if you watched that oh yeah yeah but season two was masterful you know Mm -hmm. and it's just the way like the fourth wall stuff is so so well done and I didn't feel badly about that and I watched that after portrait too so I think I'm in a good spot in terms of artistic criticism yeah it's just gotten deeper I don't know how about how about you how has it affected the way that you view art and film now yeah I think that I'm not sure yet like I wonder if it's going to have an effect on um queer films Mm. you know in particular I feel like in a way they they invented or Celine invented a new genre I'm just so used to I feel like we're I feel like I'm kind of going off veering off like severely off topic right now but um, whatever the topic is (laughs) it's fandom so I think it all fits because we're just like we're we're just we're yeah we're yeah exactly but I'm I guess I'm used to kind of like the two extremes of of uh queer films where Mm. they either end horribly tragically or it's like absurdly cheesy like ending to the point where it's like painful right can you give me an example of absurdly cheesy ones? imagine me and you did you see that one yes i have <laughs> okay you, yeah yeah, do, yeah that's true do you love it um i i don't love it i i i do love it and i don't love it i i love it because it's like oh finally you know they get to be together at the end and that's fine but i don't love it because yeah it's super cheesy yeah but it's like finally we have a rom-com you know that's true yeah yeah that's a good point I'm sure there's more. 
like uh, Saving Face is another one that kind of comes to mind. Oh, Did you yeah. see that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel like we could ho- do a whole episode on this. We um. Probably will. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Great. Yeah. The tragic ones, they were, yeah, no, it's it's totally It's kind true. of an easier trap to fall fall into, right? Like, yeah. let's just make everyone die. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is, though? Uh, I think it does speak to our experience. I think that, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that there's a lot of tragedy in the gay landscape. And so I think that it's probably coming from there on a deep level. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. What do you, do you have thoughts on what that is? Why that no, is? No, I think you're right. Um, I think that it, it does mostly come from a place of having to talk about the, the queer experience honestly right and it has been a struggle it has been very hard and it has been very sad oftentimes but it's also been like since gay film has come out I would say starting maybe starting in the 90s and then increasingly through the 2000s we've just got to have happier endings at some point you know it's like it's it's getting to be a little it's getting to be better and there was I don't remember where I heard this I think someone was talking about if Beale Street could talk but like this is a a line about black cinema but it's like not everything about our experience is our struggle you know so it's like I would love to get more stories about for example like I have a great relationship with my girlfriend and I you know I have a very joyous life and I would love to see more stories about about that sort of thing you know where maybe the fact that they're gay isn't even the central plot point. It's just that like, oh, these two people who happen to be gay are doing this thing and overcome this obstacle or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's almost like the struggle is sort of the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, is that really the most beautiful thing about queer experience that you can think of is how hard it is or how hard it has been historically? Come on guys (laughs) and gals and everyone going back to the fandom and maybe to wrap up some final thoughts, where are you getting your your portrait fix? <laughs> <laughs> I would say the majority of my fix is coming from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I kind of float over to Twitter if people are doing kind of, you know, like a live tweeting thing, watching the film and like live tweeting. Ooh, that's good. I haven't done that one yet. The one that I was kind of paying attention to recently, they announced that they were doing a live tweet. And then during the actual film, they barely tweeted at all because they were so sort of (laughs) (laughs) pulled in, which makes perfect sense. I think I would have a hard time, too, because I would just be like, you know, like so enraptured um, you definitely shouldn't try to live tweet your first watching oh my god although yeah. i i do i would love to see that like I, I mean i would love to force someone like a friend to live tweet it just to like see what that experience looks like that's true that's <laughs> but true. you're right yeah. it would be really hard and distracting but yeah i'm seeing uh i just love following all the the fan accounts on instagram seeing all the like fan art mm-hmm. just all the craziness coming out of that it's it's so beautiful yeah but wh- yeah. what about you I've been increasingly going to Instagram, mostly on your recommendation, but prior to that, I went where I felt like I recalled the most rabid fandoms being, which was Tumblr. So I re-downloaded Tumblr, and there's a bunch of stuff. There are at least a handful of accounts who are who post a lot of content, and there's even, I guess Tumblr does a group chat thing now. So there's a portrait of a lady on fire group chat that I am now a part of. And that, and that's just like straight up people are talking about whatever they want to talk about in that group chat. And it's kind of interesting. The thing that I really liked about the Tumblr stuff is someone is someone is a portrait fan 
She's a big portrait fan, and she has translated the French DVD commentary and included that the English transcription of the DVD commentary with like gifts of the appropriate scenes. So that's been really helpful. And then outside of that, it's just been like the single sort of one-off podcast episodes where they review the film. But yeah, that's yeah. basically it. So I'm glad <laughs> we're doing this because at least there's going to be there's going to be more content out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've listened to the podcasts as well, and even though they were literally just like recapping the film and kind of providing their own sort of analysis, I, I'll I'll be in the car listening and like actually screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's yeah. just so exciting to get you know anything I can since it's like, that's it, right? It's not a ongoing series. It's like I we know. have one movie, <laughs> and there's not going to be like Portrait of a Lady on Fire too. No, <laughs> like, no, <laughs> Mas and Fuego. That's Spanish. That's but that's fine. <laughs> probably doesn't even mean more on fire <laughs> yeah i mean as as much as i would love like a fast and furious version of like <laughs> of portrait where it just goes on forever that like... would be amazing yeah 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 i think the wonderful thing one of the many wonderful things about this movie is that it does reward multiple viewings and every time that i listen to another one of those recap podcasts i i hear something that i hadn't thought about which is like, oh my gosh, just another portion of this world that's been opened up. Like, this wasn't from a, a podcast, this is from one of the Tumblers, but someone pointed out that in the scene where the mother has returned and likes the, the portrait, and then she says to Eloise that she has a gift for her, so she starts to leave the room, and Eloise goes to follow her, and then she pauses at the door and she turns to look at Marianne. If you look at the bottom of her dress, you can see the burn mark from the fire. It's like, ah, I totally missed that the first time around or the third or fourth time around. And it's like, <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And I think it's also still burned in the um, like the abortion scene as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember reading that as well. And like, I feel like these are little Easter eggs. Yeah. And I'm also very curious, like where who's discovering them? Is it after watching it 10 times or are they watching? Actually, yeah. I think you know? the person had watched it an 11th time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually getting better at, so now that it's it's streaming on Hulu, I'm getting better at being able to just like fast forward to the, the part that someone is referring to so I can watch mm. it myself. Yeah. <laughs> what are you looking forward to discussing in upcoming podcasts? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think we could continue talking about the fandom. I'd love to if people actually start listening, like I'd love to hear what they would like to hear more about. Mm -hmm. I'd love to expand on this, this idea of the lack of everything in this mm -hmm. film. I don't know. So many things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I think I'd like to get into specifically why this movie resonated with us so much. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully same. If people have something related to that, like why the movie hit them so hard, I would love to hear that the stuff behind the camera. So the fact that it was mostly women on set and what that environment was like and how that played into the themes of like equality and sorority in the film itself. Cause that seems to have been such a, a moving experience for everyone who, who worked on the film, the symbolism, you know, just like the technicalities of the filmmaking. There's so much that, yeah, that I think we're going to get in, get to dig into. So I'm pretty excited, but if you do have questions, we do have an Instagram, at least, that we've set up, and you can follow us there, comment, or DM, I guess. We can, is that, 
DMs are, we'll figure it out. But follow us on Instagram. It's podcast of a lady on fire, right? Yep. Yep. And we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Wait, that's Bye. Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and there are like multiple types of goodbyes, right? For I know. French. It's like, it's true. And hellos. Adieu yeah. is one thing. And au revoir is, I don't, I don't know. Don't listen. <laughs> I'm just going to say see ya. Yeah. <laughs> Peace. Peace. <laughs> okay, bye.